Welcome to The Jam Pact, an independent podcast inspired by the campaigns led by the WI. My name is Rosa, and in this episode I'm joined by Pam Warhurst, the woman who started the incredible edible movement. Have you ever had a good idea to do something different, but you didn't know if you were allowed to do it without permission? That's the kind of question that is rocket fuel to Pam. Incredible Edibles started in Todmorden in West Yorkshire, and there are now independent Incredible Edible groups all over the world. It started with a very simple premise, to encourage ordinary people to grow fruit and vegetables on publicly owned land, such as in parks and in car parks, or by the side of the road, and they do all this without permission, just to see what happens. But it's not just about the food. It's about climate change, about what happens when you focus on matching your strengths with small steps, and reclaiming land for the community. I began by asking Pam about the public's right to grow on public land without permission. I guess my philosophy is you begin with what good looks like and then you work back to what you need to do to get there. And, and that allows you not to be constrained by all the things that people tell you you can't do. Because if you want to get to where you want to get to, you just have to overcome the things people tell you you can't do. So the big ticket issue for me is how we can help everybody live well and prosper in the changes that are coming, particularly the big ticket issue, which is climate change. The rest is a subset of that. Poverty, health, hope, environment, economy, it's all a subset of what's around the corner. So if that's the case, I am not a negative person. I look at the problem and I say, what can we do as ordinary humans to try and build something that we can pass on with with joy to our next generation? What can we do to show people they're not victims and that actually they have gifts that they can employ? What can we do to fill people with a sense of purpose and wake up in the morning and think, well, it's not like it used to be, but hey, it's okay. This is what I'm going to do. So that mindset, that culture, that shift of the way we live our lives is what Incredible Edible is all about and what drives me. And I guess I have to touch base in dealing with the question about land with the beginning, not to go into the details of the whys and the wherefores. Everybody can have a look at any number of talks that I've done to understand that. But the big ticket issue was for me, how do we mobilise people in their everyday lives to see that collectively they have the power to do things differently? How do we engage with our neighbours, people that we'll never meet as well? How do we tell a story of hope? And that has to be about actions, not words. Because ironically, although words are what can inspire us, it's actions that nail that, that give us traction, that show us as a community of any order, whether it's, you know, a street, a village, a town, a borough in a city, a country, it doesn't matter, that collectively the stuff that we can do that will help us live well and prosper in a challenging future. So if you look at all that stuff, and I created this simple model around three plates because it was just a simple storyline that said, okay, if you woke up in the morning and you really were worried about tomorrow and you were thinking about you and yours and you were thinking about the big ticket issues but you didn't know where to start, if that was where your mind's at, then you're halfway there because you want to do something differently. So, hey, here's a model. It's not the ultimate solution to everything in the world, but it might just work for you and yours. And the model is around food, because food is the universal language that we can all do something about. How much we consume, 
where we get it from, what skills we've got, whether we want a job in it, whether we want to support a big business or a little enterprise on a market. All these things are around food and we have levers we can pull <laughs> to, to bring about different outcomes. And sometimes we don't think about that. So it was okay, let's imagine that the three plates of Incredible Edible just reflect three elements of our lives. The first one being, let's walk past edible landscapes all the time from our front door right through to the farthest reaches of our community. Let's imagine what young people being brought up in a land of edible opportunity, what would that do for their mindset around seeing themselves as one species of many, seeing themselves of understanding the environment and seasonality, starting to see there was a joy in not being able to get every bit of food that you could ever want at any time in, in, in the year. That idea of blossoms on trees and understanding the importance of a living soil, all these things start to play when you start to change how the spaces of our lives look and feel. That was the first step. The second step was recognizing that um, folks don't know how to do any of that stuff. They've not been taught how to grow. They don't know how to cook. Not everybody, not all the time, but it is a theme in our world that it's got to be fast and furious and instant and, you know, and we don't really know what we're putting into our bodies, but hey, it must be all right because the telly said it was all right. We're not against any of that. What we're saying is there's another way of doing it. Why don't we find those people we can talk to who are our neighbours or who we can actually have as a virtual neighbour by getting in contact with conversations like this, who can help us to pickle and bottle and graft, who can tell us what grows well in what type of soil, who can show us how to actually cook a meal for our family on not a right lot of money. Who, all these things, let's find those conversations and let's nurture them and let's celebrate them because they're there in our community. May I say no better community than the Women's Institute, but anyway. <laughs> and the third element of that is the, the one that nails this in people's reality. Because this isn't about waking up in the morning and suddenly becoming a living saint. This isn't about just, just waking up to the worthiness of the world. This is about if we do that differently, there's jobs in it for our kids. There's local opportunities for people to wake up in the morning and think I can bring joy by cooking or growing. I can bring back respect for people who produce the food in this country that's already gone. There are jobs that I can do that will contribute towards the big challenges around climate change and also bring prosperity in a different way into my family and my neighbours and my community. So that's incredible edible. Community meets learning, meets business. Now, that's great. 13 years of that, folk are getting inspired by that. It's made a difference. It started people's businesses. It started people thinking, you know, why don't I reskill us? All that's happened in a very organic way. But ultimately, with 10 years on the clock ticking to the, you know, to climate change, because we have already got changes embedded in the way we live our lives that will not be reversible in our lifetimes. So how do we collectively may go up a gear on this. And one of the ways we go up a gear is saying, if we all had access to more of our public realm, and if we all knew better about what to do with that, we could do a lot more growing without asking people's permission. And that, start, that is at the heart of the logic behind asking for a right to land. Because ultimately, what do we know? We don't need to know a right lot to know we're not going to be flying stuff all over the planet. And, you know, and basically those beans would feed people in Kenya and Guatemala 
far better than they would feed us. So let's not worry about that. Let's grow our own stuff. What do we know? We know that that a lot of the existing jobs aren't going to be there anymore. So we need to think about reskilling with purpose. We know that health with the pandemic is, you know, we're going to have more pandemics. We're going to have more breakdown of, you know, mental health. We're going to have, and, and I'm not a negative person. This is just kind of like in the system at the moment. So, okay, we could weep and we could drink a lot of gin. Or we could roll up our sleeves and actually say, let's campaign for a right to, for communities to feed themselves. Let's campaign for a right to local food. Let's see what would be the building blocks of that. So these aren't empty slogans. These are give us this and we can do that. So, though, so for me, it's about the first step of a new social contract that says we've got public realm all over the place. And some of it isn't very well looked after. And some of it is the type of stuff that would feed cows, but not feed human beings. So actually, let's open up a conversation about how we could create more land opportunities for people to grow in. When they start, when the proverbial really starts to hit the fan. And I, and I guess because I've had a background with trees as well, the saying about planting trees is the best time was 30 years ago. If not, then no then thank God we started Incredible Edible 13 years ago because we, we kind of know from that experience that we need more skill sets, we need to celebrate local food and we need more land. And that is why we do what we do. Very simple messaging, very straightforward ask, you know? And I do know <laughs> that changing that, which is a systemic change, can sometimes take time. But what I know is it's a terrible Trump card to have. It's terrible. But, tr but the climate change is the Trump card. And so what we want to do is to say to people who can see the logic of this, not we're absolutely right, we've got this right, we know how to do it. But that's the journey we're on. Who'd like to come and help us? Who's on that journey with us? And that's why I'm always delighted to have these conversations. And I realise that I've spoken for far too long and hardly taken that. It's amazing you. listening to you. You're, you're, it's like getting on a speedboat. And <laughs> We've got to go there, girl. There is no, you know, there's no looking back. We have got to go there. And, you know, I spoke at a AGM thing, forgive me for not knowing, in the Midlands, I think, at the Women's Institute. Um, it was great because the, 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 the IT didn't work. It was, it was one of those, <laughs> imagine this screen moment, you know, which I'm used to doing. And it struck me at the time that what I want to do is to work alongside determined, strong, committed people who, who want to just say, there's a truth in this somewhere. Let's sit down and work out what our role is in that. You know, so so I'm going to snatch your hand off, Rose, that you've asked me to have this conversation. Well, one, one of your mottos of an incredible edible is um, the belief in small actions, because mm. we've been talking about really like big uh, organisational structural changes, climate change. These are massive things. But you started just planting food mm. on the side of the road. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, and right at the beginning, that big picture was always in my mind. But this, this is a conversation with people who don't know where to start in that whole, shall we live our lives differently equation. You know, they may not be well read. They may not 
have the benefits of a, a of a diverse education that there may be all man well it doesn't matter because their life experiences mean that they wake up in the morning and they're concerned but what do they do and that was the point of the power of small actions and everything we ever do is based on the power of small actions because the the big ticket issue is the big ticket issue but it's only an amalgamation of millions and millions of small actions that went wrong so what we're saying is actually don't be overwhelmed by these big ticket things. Just take a deep breath and say, okay, right. Well, you know, people around board tables are exactly the same as people around kitchen tables, but they're kind of stuck in a system where we're not getting the right outcomes for ordinary people. And we're not getting the right outcomes for our environment. So let's be kind to them. And let's not worry about asking them too much permission. And let's demonstrate through our small actions on the streets, in the verges, in the fields, uh, in our backyards, our front gardens, wherever, what we think good might look like around food. The power of small actions is the single most important thing I've ever learned in this exercise, because suddenly you start to unpick those problems and you see it for what it is. A zillion little actions that collectively create a very powerful demonstrator of what life could be like. So if you are, so for example, um, it doesn't matter what you do, almost any action that's positive around food, around local food, contributes towards the conversation, the ripples of which you never know where it's gonna go. If we imagine that we can turn our street into an edible joy, what does that mean? It doesn't mean to say I need to be a member of the Landscape Institute. It doesn't mean to say I need to be able to pay my sub to the Royal Horticultural Society. What it needs is I say to my next door neighbour, do you know, Littles have got some really cheap cherry trees. Why don't we just go and get some and plant it over there and see what happens? That's it. Why don't we just do that? Or, you know, everybody on this street's totally fed up. Why don't we just put a big stall outside and do some cooking and just give it out? Nobody can stop you doing that. I often say that, <laughs> you've got all sorts of gifts now maybe people don't want your gifts but actually nobody can stop you giving them and that's what kind of this is about this is why it's kind of contagious because suddenly people start to realize that there there is an impact that they come along with and it can be really positive so yeah the power of small actions if you eat your in using food in any sense whatsoever to bring a joy and kindness and whatever terms you want to use, it's really important. And again, I go back, Women's Institute have been doing this forever. You know, you have been demonstrating how everyday actions around food can bring such changes to the way people feel about themselves in wartime or in times of great stress or, or, or in times of celebration of the, the power of women. This is not about a women's movement, but this is just about releasing that power that's already there because time is dribbling through our fingers, Rosa. Well, one of the really compelling things about what you do with Incredible Edipole is you, you sprinkle just a little bit of naughtiness <laughs> and disobedience exactly. on what you do. Like, I, there's a park near me and there's, uh, I always notice like the patches in the flower beds, you know, just where it's neglected a bit and I emailed the council and said oh could we plant like get LWI and maybe a couple of other community groups just to plant some bulbs or you know put some seeds and um 
weeks and weeks go past no <laughs> no reply and then I, I email again and I got a response finally didn't. saying um you know but oh that that park's looked after it's fine um and I could just see like the patches in in my mind you know they're not seeing what I'm seeing and it's that that naughtiness of what what you've put out there well, like well well anyway <laughs> absolutely well absolutely because we, we've got to we've got to work from where people are and people can feel for, for all the very best reasons since we created the welfare state we have we have adopted a mode of doing two people in their best interests and there is absolutely a need for us to continue to love and nurture and sustain and be a safety net and all those other things that we need to do because we are nothing if we're not compassionate, you know, in our relationships with each other. But it has created a mindset that is waiting for somebody else to do it. Or, on the other hand, a mindset that says, my default position is no when you ask me, because I've got to write a report and I've got to go and do a health and safety and I've got to see if someone's going to cut their foot off and I've got to do a thousand and one other thing. Well, funnily enough, nobody's ever lost a foot in 30 years of Incredible Edible. So the bottom line of it is, actually... If you use your nose, because this isn't about creating an alternative platform for local government. If you use your nose and say, that bit over there is so unloved, I'm just going to do something with it. I'm just going to plant some cherry trees or some or some flowers or whatever else it might be. And, and what they're going to do. And never has anybody sued us or stopped us doing that. In fact, quite the opposite. They usually phone up at some point and say, I'm so pleased you did that. It was fantastic. It'll take me forever to get that through the council or the housing association or the health authority or whatever else it might be. And these are small actions. You haven't built a Taj Mahal anywhere that needs to be dismantled. You have planted something in the ground that is going to be a joy to look at. And the other bit of that is, you know, and yeah, okay, so I was involved in local government and health and a thousand one things so I do kind of understand um, some of the big issues this thing called public realm I'm just off on one of it it's got the (laughs) word public in front of it I know we elected a load of people to make decisions on our behalf that's democracy that's fine that's great that saves a lot of us turning up in the middle of the town square in the pouring rain and using our vote invariably it'd be the men but anyway that's better about but it says public so why the heck don't we ask for ownership back on decision making when it comes to public realm and what we're trying to do is not ultimately we do want to change the law but what we're trying to practice if there are people brave enough out there to practice with us and I think there are we are getting some very positive noises is to say let's take this public realm in an area that's got some challenges as it happens it might be in the north of England but it could be in the southwest it could be anywhere and let's say Let's work with those people who traditionally have looked after that public realm and let's establish a new arrangement that says we, the people and you, will work together on this public realm. Right. So we're not saying just give it to us and we'll do everything. We're saying there's a new contract around that. So we, the people, are perfectly prepared to look after, grow food, set up stores, sell food, do whatever is required. But you know, anchors, because they are anchor institutions, these big organisations that are there in your community and they're not going anywhere. If you would sort the insurance out for us, that'd be great. You know, there's a new relationship, which is not disrespectful in any way, but is playing to strengths. And so for me, that's why the naughtiness 
has led to the storytelling, which has pointed out the things that need to be shifted in order that everybody can do what those naughty people were doing at the beginning without it being naughty, but starting a new normal. That's all that this is about. And I don't think there's anything, there's anything particularly radical about that, really. I mean, people do seem to think it's radical, but it's not really. It's saying we want to be part of our own story and we have a voice. This is what we want around local food. And this is what we want about our kids' education. And this is what we want about our local markets. And this is what we want about local economies and sticky money. And, the, and, and that's kind of the way the world's going to go, I think. How do you think that this kind of local engagement changes how we can grapple with like the bigger issue of climate change? Like I'm, I'm thinking of the, the report that came out and it very much feels like we're watching people in power say that they'll do things and then we'll find out if they did it and we're, we're all just watching. Yeah, exactly. Well, honestly, I mean, that is that, that was what booted me at the beginning. 13 years ago because I, I've lived through Rio and the Earth Summit and Kyoto and the, all the other things um, and the empty words and the lack of bottle of people in power to talk to their citizens about what's ahead and what we can do together all that is kind of like okay I'm not going to get worried about that that's just depressing what I know is there's something I can do and what is interesting about the incredible edible proposition is that folks heard it and thought yeah I, yeah yeah I want a bit of that and when we start to move and we get up in the morning and we're making some decisions I'm going to go today and I'm going to clear that patch and I'm going to grow some parsley in it or I'm going to do or I'm going to set up a stall and I'm just going to get some cheap veg from somewhere where there are get, get it from people and I'm going to cook up some soup and I'm going to give it out or whatever it is suddenly you start to think oh I did mm, that was all right what else can I do the world of positivity starts to play in when what we get through the media and what we get through our elected members is negativity. It's you can't, it's, it's all too difficult. It's, it's all, well, there are some things sadly that are going to change, but let's, the one thing I know is if we are petrified into doing nothing because it's all so big, we don't know where to start, then we're gonna go down the toilet a lot faster. Therefore, Incredible Edible says, we have gifts, let's bring them. Let's be positive. Let's stop being a victim. Let's stop listening to those mantras. We have to have loads of money before we do things. No, we need to have, you know, degrees and written permission before we start to do things. No, none of that from 13 years and the thousands of people all over the globe that have had a crack at doing something about incredible edible. They are living proof that we don't need that. And actually what we do need, of course we do. We need, we in the grassroots, and those framework makers to come together. But instead of doing it the old way, which didn't work, which was this lot will create a framework and we'll see if we can fit into it. We're gonna do it the other way around. We're gonna say, this is what the framework ought to start looking like. Come and talk to us about you, how you do it. And that act of collective confidence building makes all the difference in the world. Because when we are confident as a community, when we see the benefits of working collectively as a community, then we start to say, as we did with COVID, when the proverbial hits the fan, we're not at ground zero. We know where our community kitchens are. We know who's got what that can start to distribute food around the place. We know who's growing what. And that I think is all that we need to do. We don't need a fancy academic report telling us that this is the right way to do it. 
we know in our heart and in our minds that this is a simple message that we can all sign up to and create a different kinder future all about small actions it's all about storytelling it's all about giving a damn about people you don't even know because we're all on this planet together i'm just really interested in life's all an experiment that's all incredible edible ever was it's a hey that stinks what are we going to do about it let's do something about it let's be positive you know the th- I tell you the thing that came through my mind right at the beginning, right at the beginning, and, and, and it did just pop into my mind on a train, you know. I mean, it didn't take a right lot of effort for me to make this thing up. It was just blindingly obvious to me. But I remember seeing scenes of, it was a woman, and her son was trapped under a car. This is going back. And she, she got him out. She lifted the car, right? I mean, she didn't kind of like do the Incredible Hulk, but she did. And that was what we can do if we must. You know, if we really care, what are we capable of doing? That was what, and I could cry now because that is, that's the fuel. That's the fuel that gets us going. If we really care, what would we not do for our children? There's nothing we wouldn't do. And that's why I'm motivated. And maybe that's why it's more women than men. I don't know why it is more women than men. there's no particular reason maybe you know well I I think maybe as women in order to obtain their rights and equality whether it's voting or education or pay we've had to change the system you know whereas men they've they fitted into the established system whereas we have to change it yeah yeah I mean that's a really interesting that's a really interesting thought whatever it is you know it's it's kind of like if you're you're in so it doesn't make any difference where you come from or what your gender is or anything else like that but it just happens that on the whole there's a lot of women around the place (laughs) who are doing stuff with joy and with conviction so but young people I need to you know you need to tell me how I do that because I'm old (laughs) Yeah. Well, well I think you're doing amazingly and, um, <laughs> well I, I wanted to go through the values on your website actually because you've got um, how many five values listed and you've got a sentence for each and I feel like each of these values could be like a whole whole hour in and of themselves um, but you've got <laughs> as your number one value and you just radiate this which is be positive um, and I mm. think there's a, a lot of caution that holds people back like oh what if um you know this goes wrong yeah. or what would what would they think and oh I'm not sure so, so can you tell us about being positive yeah I mean absolutely it's just where does that come from I don't know it just sort of like surges up from my toes and 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 and, and you know and 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 when I feel on occasions gosh I'm not getting anywhere gosh I'm not and then I meet people who just like knock my socks off through everyday acts of kindness or bravery or whatever. And I think, no, 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 we are on, we are on this page. We are in this story. We're in this together. Um, So I cannot help but be positive. You know, I went, just some examples. Well, I suppose one of the things I'd say before I give you some examples is, as I said before, we are not asking people to build a hugely expensive monument that's, we're just asking people to, to use land and grow food and share food. And if we get it wrong, what we lost, 
We've not lost. We've not lost anything. And quite frankly, we've been doing things so wrong for so long. Why the heck we wouldn't do things in a different way? I can't imagine. So we should have confidence that we can be positive because with positivity, we get smiles and with smiles, we get inclusiveness. And when we start to be inclusive, we start to see our strength. Serendipity plays a very big part in everything I do. I was asked to go on a Food Ethics Council uh, webinar thingy, which I did, because uh, they're a great bunch of people. And I met a young woman from a significant commercial company who is an absolute joy, an absolute joy working in a sector that I don't know a lot about, but absolutely understands where this planet is going. And she is going to work her socks off in the job that she's got to help everyone be part of a different future. Now, I didn't know that I was going to meet that person. It allows me to tell stories that isn't about volunteers good, private sector bad. This is, it allows me to be positive about so many people in so many walks of life who are ready for change, but don't know where to start. You know, and that young woman and a whole host of other people from her board walked around in, in the rain. We were really wet in North Wales meeting three or four of our groups, just seeing what they did on the streets of Conway or Port Maddock or wherever it might be, growing, telling stories, sharing. And those simple acts were so refreshing to people who were in a, there has to be a report, this is the deadline, we have to make this much pensions and pensions. It was so refreshing. And something in their soul said, this is part of a different future, isn't it? not only are we doing things differently but we're seeing space differently not only are we seeing space differently but we're measuring what good life looks like differently all from these small actions now these people with a bit of luck and a following wind that will be the blue light the touch paper that sends that rocket into the sky and starts to see them making progress in areas that i couldn't touch and that's the joy of positivity because it can flash all over the place and suddenly you've got a whole universe of stars. It's great. What you said about um, what, I can't remember the, the little sentence you used, but something about we, you can't go wrong. And it's that idea of these small steps, they seem so small that people might put, be put off and think, well, this is one step. Where, where is it going? Where, where is just one step? But on the other side of that, that means, well, because it is just one step, you don't have to worry about exactly. where where it is you're going and how, you know, some disaster. Exactly. It exactly. is just one step. Exactly. I mean, folks say it's the most boring thing in the world. I couldn't, I yawn and fall off my chair, right? <laughs> yeah, but what about China? Yeah, well, what about China? You know, I imagine there are people in China who are also give a damn about tomorrow and their kids and all the rest of it. But I tell you what, let's leave that for China. What are well, we well people in, in China country? are probably thinking, well, what about them in, in the West? You know, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so, so all we've got to do is call that out. And that is lazy thinking. That is just manana. That is yours. You can't be bothered actually trying to do something about this. But come on, join us. You'll get, you'll get. So, and, and, and there's, there's two little stories, because sometimes storytelling, which is always key to this, is important to illustrate a point. Two stories that, uh, that I tell um, are, they're not really stories, they're examples. One is, 100 and odd years ago, 
not far from where I live, a bunch of people that were pretty much like us, who didn't have anything, who were concerned about their families and their neighbours and their jobs and their health and their food, sat round a table, literally sat round a table and said, right, I'll buy a sack of wheat if you buy a sack of oats and then we'll split it all up. And, and that was cooperative movement. And that created a worldwide sense of cooperation. And it started at a moment in a kitchen with a bunch of people saying, we're going to do it differently. So that's the first thing that says, don't tell me we can't change because we can. And don't tell me we can't do it by the actions of ordinary folk because we can. The second thing is when I say to people, I'm not an environmentalist, I'm an economist, which is a fact. Um, it doesn't stand for anything whatsoever, quite frankly, because I'm not a big fan of economics. It's just an amalgamation of human behavior and how they spend the money, but there you go, that's what they call it. But the interesting thing is it has given us a sense that it's this kind of like, it's this big force somewhere that it's got nothing to do with us. All economics is, is individual transactions scaled up that's all it is so if all our individual transactions are different we start to shift what our local economy looks like so if we've got a pound in our pocket which we may not have but if we're fortunate enough to have one and if we make a choice in our village our town our neighborhood our borough whatever it is to go and buy our cheese our bread or whatever from a local market with a local producer and if enough of us do that then that human being says, oh, I can make a living out of this. Maybe I could have some apprentices or maybe I should have more hens or maybe, or whatever it might be. And suddenly those acts of exchange start to create another economy. So, you, and, and at no point have you had a placard in front of Aldi or Lidl or anywhere else. No, 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 no. This isn't about let's put people down. This is about actually collectively, we can start to, we can start to shift that. We can create jobs. We can revitalise market towns. We can redefine our high street. And that's just because we spent our money differently. That's all there is to it. So I just think reminding people of actually how much influence they've got if they just trust that other people will do the same thing. Yeah, where and it's about with focusing on the positive aspect. It's not about thinking, oh, things are great, things are fine. It's more doing the things that you want to see more of rather than you know protesting against the supermarket that you want to see less of exactly and again getting out of the habit of being hypercritical so I'm not saying nobody needs to be protesting I am not saying that what I'm saying is for those that see their future in doing that it is a part of shifting the conversation but Incredible Edible is about demonstrating through the power of small actions. Mm -hmm. And then extrapolating from what you've learned into asking some big questions, which don't seem as scary once you say, no, all I want is to be able to grow all across my verges in my town. That's all I want. If we can do it in our town, why can't they do it in the next town? And if they, if they want to do it in the next town, why couldn't we do it across an entire local authority? And if they could do that across an entire local, why couldn't we do it in the country? And suddenly, and what I would say on that is, and again, it's this terrible card of climate change. 13 years ago, it was blindingly obvious to a much smaller number of people where we were going. But have confidence that we have shifted some of those dials around health, 
around local economies. We've started, not just incredible, I don't know, but a number of people across the globe have shifted the dials and we won't go back to where we were. So we're building on something that's more positive all the time. So what you, was the second one? What, your your second what one, actually, you've, you've um, talked a lot about already, which is being local. Yeah. Focusing on, um, you know, creating local solutions to global problems. You, well, you're very good at practical. coming up with these little phrases. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but that's just being practical because all this is about is getting your head in the right space. Right, that's all this is about. Because once your head's in the right space, you think, let me know. Okay, okay, right. This elephant's going to be one bite at a time, but I can do it. Good one-liners, they're there for a reason. Eating elephants one bite at a time, they are there for a reason. And the truth is, just, just only worry about what you can get your hands on. There is absolutely no point lying there in the middle of the night worrying about what Joe Biden's going to do. What is the point of that? None. So what we need to do is say, yeah, but what can I actually do? Again, with trust and with faith that if I tell my story, other people will latch on and say, I'm going to help you with that, which is always the case. So worry about what you can get your hands on. Be positive about how you can change that for the better and tell the story from the rooftops. That's all there is to it. Well, you got three more things to it. Oh, my God. What, <laughs> they, what, what else have we got? Um, being connected. That's just that you are not alone. You know, so you wake up in the morning and you have a sense of I want to do something and you have a sense that there's something I can do, whatever that might be. And actually, it doesn't mean to say that you have to grow food. You might say, do you know, I'm brilliant at websites or I'm just great at making posters or or painting benches or whatever it is. We can drive, but, you can drive. Or whatever. Find somebody that needs your, your skills and do something about that, you know? And that's the start of connectedness. But it's also about when times are tough, you need to know you're surrounded with people who are of the same spirit, which is why Incredible Edible speaks of itself as a movement. It's really important that we recognise that we are here together, collectively, collaboratively, as a movement of ordinary people who want to do things differently. So that's the connectedness. And the connectedness that goes beyond, don't worry about your brand. Let's not get carried away about the brand. We, the brand, if you want to put it that way, of Incredible Edible, is great if you want to sign up to a three-plate movement and you want to do that. And it's kind of like a painting by numbers. And it, it kind of works. And, uh, and it's good. But... If it's another brand that you're going to help, that's fantastic. You know, community farms, city guard, whatever. I only do food, but I do it from the point of view of a single point of contact with maximum elaboration. So work with anybody that you can do, work with, with food. So that's the power of connectedness. And then together, suddenly, you don't, you, you don't need a master plan because that collective spirit drives that group forward so we went from one in Tomerden to 140 odd over the country we're about to kick off a book uh, which one of our um, board members is is basically killing herself doing which is fantastic which is telling the story of probably about 30 odd groups they've written it themselves they've talked about their favorite recipes they've talked about 
the soil they're growing in. They've talked about their ups and their downs, whatever it might be. But each and every one of those has identified that it's just really important to be part of something that you want to be part of in their individual communities, whether it's in Argentina or in France or whether it's in Australia or whatever it actually is, that sense of being connected as mums and dads, aunts and uncles, sons and daughters, who together are using food to change the planet, it's a great sense. And why shouldn't we, why shouldn't we bask in that sense of other people's glory? They're doing fantastic things. You'll recognise this. There'll be people who are listening to this will recognise this. You're a woman. Right, so I'm a woman and I've got a broad northern accent, which I adore. It's not Yorkshire, I have to say. I apologise for that. It's Lancashire, but there it is. And because I'm associated with this, what people do is they sort of come and pat you on the back. Hey, bless. You know, she's, she's a campaigner. She's an environmentalist. She's a community person. What they mean to say is she's not capable of actually changing the world. Well, people are capable of changing the world. You know, they're capable of doing it one step at a time, one plot at a time, one purchase at a time. And that's what we're doing. It's hilarious that people pat me on the back and kind of say those things. And I just think, hmm, got a bit of a way to go yet with you, sir, but uh, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) The power of collective is important, yeah. Yeah, I've got like two competing thoughts in my head now. So I'm thinking, I've got two more points left on the list, but... Something you said made me think of um, how hope is really important in this and how um, agency, like that sense of agency is such a big part of of having hope and recognising your own agency and the agency of others. Mm. And um, the last person I talked to, she's the CEO of the Trussell Trust. We talked a lot about um, poverty and about how, a bit like you really, like what they do, is not about food it's like some, something is going on and the, the lack of food or this en- engagement around food is um a symptom of this this problem sure. um but poverty i think poverty strips you of that sense of agency mm. and how how does like does do you see as poverty is playing a role in, in what you do either in like tackling poverty or even the way that you're growing things and mobilizing things, has that had an effect on poverty in your town? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I'm going to answer that by going back to that pair of small actions, and we're, and we're only one piece of a jigsaw. So, do I think that we have made poverty history in Tobin because we've done this for 13 years? No, absolutely not. No. Do I think that that increasing sense of urgency and positivity? and trust and faith and hope is part of how we get out of poverty. Yes, I do, without a shadow of a doubt. But we cannot do this alone. (laughs) You know, it would be naive to do that. But I'm glad you made that point because I don't get food poverty and energy poverty. There's poverty. Yeah. Full stop. (laughs) And it has many guises. It's a huge issue to tackle because... It's about education. It's about so many areas of our lives. It's about three or fourth generation impact, all these things. But ultimately, we will not get off the starting blocks if we don't engage in local conversations and demonstrations about how it's possible 
without a lot of money and a lot of qualifications to together create an alternative prosperity. And I'm not defensive in any way about this because people, you know, I remember going on, um, what was it? What do they call that radio programme with? Oh, you and yours. And I went on. I mean, I never asked to go on any of these things, but I went on and had this chat to whatever she's called. Um, And ultimately, because she just, I mean, no disrespect, but she interviews a lot of people. And so, you know, so ultimately she said, so, I see what you want is um, to be self-sufficient in Todmorden. Are you going to be self-sufficient? And I said, no, I never said I was going to be self-sufficient. What I said was, we're going to work with people so that more people have got more skills and more awareness of what their gifts are. So I think on the issue of poverty, it's a bit like a contribution to climbing the north face of the Eiger, right? If I've never done it before, I'm not going to start on that, am I? I'm going to get my growth. I'm going to get my soft slopes. I'm going to get my training. I'm going to understand how I can do it. I'm going to see who wants to come along this journey with me. And then when it becomes obvious that we have to do that, we're more prepared for doing that. And I do think that what I have picked up, not just with Incredible Edible, but with other grassroots organisations, is when their community was hit hard by COVID, they were not starting from ground zero. They started with the network they'd created around food and they went into action. And that had an impact for those people that are still systemically in that hole in the ground called poverty. We cannot single-handedly get them out of that, but what we can do is prepare collectively our communities to celebrate the gifts that many people have, for example. There are some people that are um, are uh, kind of like have a tag on them that say I'm a um, I'm a migrant or I'm I'm a refugee or I'm whatever I am. Whereas what they are are human beings with immense skills that our community can benefit from. But that mindset needs to shift, and I guess all that Incredible Edible does is attempt to shift a mindset away from victim into solution finder into trust and hope that starts to see us being able to knit all these things together. Is that so, going back to looking at strengths over and over? Abs- like all the time. But that's all we're doing. We've not got a master plan for feeding the world, but we have got a conversation that's opening up people's own agency to find their own solutions and to think that actually I'm included in that conversation. So, so the groups that I speak to when I do speak to them that are extremely well healed are less likely to have traction for what I'm doing than those that actually are recognising some of those problems that I'm trying to identify and bring people to the table to see if we can do things differently. So it's a long way around answering. We're a little drop in the ocean of fighting poverty. But actually, without a cultural shift around that, we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, that is exactly what I was thinking when you were talking, because poverty, like climate change, it's you have to change the structure that people are in. And, you know, the the idea, you know, that question you're asked about being self-sustainable, um, that's actually not a resilient way to be. Like, you need collaboration. You need to share strengths because your strengths, like we all our strengths, strength sets are incomplete. You need to match up with other people. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And that needs to be normal. It just needs to be normal. And I know that the pandemic has meant that that people talk about a new normal. I Or going back to normal or whatever. I've been talking about new normals for ages. I'm now trying to find new ways of doing it because it gets associated with kind of like a national rhetoric around, around COVID. Um, but I do think that um, you're abs- it is systemic change that we need. We need to be measuring what good looks like differently. This is about welcoming the the wealth of skills across our communities and not having, you know, it's things like when folks say to you, yeah, but how do you scale that up? Mm, Wrong question. How do I spread it? Because we tend to speak to people who are like-minded a lot, we forget that a lot of the people out there who can make these systems change things happen need a lot more nurturing yet. Yeah. <laughs> they need to be brought in the fold. They're not listening. <laughs> but bless them, they are lost. They do know that they can't do the stuff with food that they used to. They can't sell like they used to. They can't have towns like they used to. They can't deliver services like they used to. So let's let's be gracious and open up a conversation with ordinary folks like us and see if we can help so your fourth fourth thing on your list it's being brave and I think those conversations you do have to be a bit brave but you can't but honest to god if you've got the first three right you can't help it you cannot help thinking I've just got to call this out or I've just got to you do have to be brave, but brave in, brave, in, brave in very, very many different ways. If I've been around a few blocks, I can maybe do some stuff that others can't. But there's other people being around a lot of other blocks that I haven't been, and they can be brave in their own ways. And me, for me, if I, if I might, I'm going to go off piece here, but, but I remember a long time ago when I, um, when I did a lot of work around animal rights. And again, it, same pattern, local group out there. There was no place that better than Tombedon for knowing about animal rights across it because we were there every single weekend telling people about the fur trade and the seals and the vivisection and the you name it. We, we were there. And there was one woman in our group who was quite shy. And she was one of the bravest people in that group because she would force herself to do what she didn't want to do. She didn't want to know about that sadness. She didn't want to see what was happening to those animals. But she forced herself in order that she could be a contributor to changing people's minds. That's brave. You know, sometimes us being gobby is not being brave. (laughs) It's just what we do. (laughs) But real bravery comes when you really don't want to be out there in broad daylight, replanting somewhere, but you are going to do it because it's going to demonstrate what an act of kindness can do for a town. And and your mate is going to make a beautiful sign that goes next to it that says, this is food for sharing, let it grow and then share it. That's brave for people. And from that bravery, you get confidence and then you can fly. Yeah, and you get that autonomy again. It goes back to 
yeah yeah autonomy and, and strengths and you know that the idea of like going back to that park which I've been told is well looked after and thinking mm, I'm just going to fill this in myself anyway that's well that's, you could always see vomit that's just hard. just just see <laughs> but I also like the combination of bravery and positivity because sometimes people say be positive as if it's an easy thing and you're, you're not looking at the problem whereas if you're being brave you have to like you're not brave because that something's easy you're brave because yeah. something's hard for you yeah absolutely no absolutely but you I don't want to dwell on the negativities of climate change once you know you know you know and there's nothing you can do about it you could break your heart. Ain't going to save one soul. You just need to live your life differently and tell a story differently. Actually, it's not even brave, to be frank. How could it be otherwise? How, how could you not try and do something about that? The bravery, I think, is just that first step. And after that, you're off. Sometimes I think it it's so big um, that people can't acknowledge it and they feel that there's no... There's no way they can engage with it apart from worrying. I know. And that's that as far as a lot of people. But that's the important part, part, point about storytelling and small actions and that sense of community and that sense of purpose togetherness. Be, because there is just something in there that creates a voice in you that says, I know that big thing's out there, but actually I can live with this. You know, th- this, this is keeping me sane. This is keeping me sane and this is bringing me joy. And in some small way, it's contributing to a story and it it just makes a difference. What's the last thing? Being active, if you like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you just need to get off your backside and do stuff. And don't you've got don't wait for permission. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and everybody's kind of comfortable with that. But 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 it, and that's purely and simply, you know. And I, I and I used to tell a lot more tales early doors about you know because my relationship with the council. But yeah, don't don't bother. It, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever when what you're using is using your gift and your resource to try and make your community a more hopeful place. Why do you have to write a letter and ask people permission to do that? What you need to do is work out, how am I going to do this? That's that agency thing. So, you know, how am I going to do it so they can't possibly complain? Because the early steps are the ones you need to get right. And after that, people will say, well, this is this looks so much better. What a fantastic idea. Come and do this over here and come and do this over there. Forget about it. How do you make sure that you get those early steps right then? Cut and paste quite frankly and one of the reasons that we've got the book coming out is it's just like there are infinite varieties of incredible but there's some main strands so 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 take somewhere that's unloved and looks horrible and be out there very publicly not in the middle of the night with a balaclava on very publicly making it great and putting signs up there about hope and kindness and food sharing and this is what or whatever do it at a level where you will succeed. Don't take over an entire field and you're a three-woman band, you know. Do it so that you can actually take photographs of it. You've got social media. You've got all the stuff you can get it out of. You're doing this in order to make your community better. People will love it and they'll, and they'll be attracted to you. The other things are there's some really simple 
um, start small, start local and feed people. Always a good move. So make sure that there's some food for people who are bothered to turn out to do stuff. Again, that's such a, a good tip. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's kind. It's a contract. Why wouldn't we do it? We know if food is our Trojan horse, why wouldn't we use it? You know, to say thank you. And it's such an easy thing to do because on the whole, it doesn't take, you're not using truffles. On the whole, all that it's done is use simple ingredients and your time to produce something you're giving to somebody and saying thank you. That speaks volumes to us because I think sometimes we forget that we do have a spirit. This isn't about religion, but we do have a sense in us that connects to people who are trying to reach out and, and, and be of a similar mind. It's just great. Just trust the fate and you'll be amazed at what happens. <laughs> you're such a pos- positive person. You can't <laughs> help true. feel good when it's you're around. absolutely true. So my last question. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what, I is, what is your vision for the future? Like whether it's the next five, 10, 20 years, like what would you like to see? Well, I cannot help, well, ultimately, what I'd like to see, the next generation having some, having a great life, Mm. you know, enjoying themselves, waking up, not being fraught with stresses and strains. So so how I would get there, so so, because I can't help but think it's about system, is I want to see a lot more grassroots governance I want to see a lot more towns and villages and neighbourhoods and boroughs being supported by the institutions to make more of their own decisions, taking their own responsibilities, sharing the benefits of their labours. I'm not saying that has to be cooperative. I'm not saying that has to be a collective. All I'm saying is my experience is that if the big institutions that have our money whether that's private or public, supported more opportunities for people at a grassroots level to make their own decisions, um, learn new skills, and, and, and start to shift their everyday lives and their everyday experiences, then we will have a better chance of creating, of creating good decisions that reflect local need. So for me, Local governance is about creating the opportunities for feedback loops. And you can't create positive feedback loops if the decision about something was made thousands of miles away. You can do it if you say, right, we'll start with public realm and then we'll go on to running markets and then we'll go on to whatever it might be. I'm not saying every town has an army. This is not (laughs) what I'm saying is there's a lot of decisions that ordinary folks with their many talents could make better outcomes around if we just trusted them. So so what good would look like is that the institutions of our lives become servant leaders, supporting the citizens in our communities to make the right decisions to think about themselves and the future, about other species and about communities they're never ever gonna meet. And actually with the planet forcing us to reevaluate things, we will start to find that actually there's some fantastically innovative things that we can do at a grassroots level in terms of feeding ourselves and upskilling and bringing on board the great innovations that the next generation are going to bring to us. So for me, 
that is what good would look like. And ultimately, there's so many things that come into my mind. But growing, growing up with a respect for all species is of fundamental importance. Mm. And that should be what good looks like. Because then yeah. we'll make the right decisions. I, I think when you live in an environment that is based on concrete and you're surrounded by concrete that pushes other species out you then see the world through concrete glasses basically you 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 see humans at the center surrounded by concrete and you you know humor nature every now and then but your life is concrete exactly no, well, exactly. And, and I guess the other side of I might just, just add to that is what, what would good look like? Right. Apart from respecting the children of all species, what good would look like is that we adopt metrics that take into account a much broader sense of good, that we dump and think we must have been mad to use GDP, uh, gross value added, all that. We must have been mad to think that that was what good was looked like because, you know, the old Sioux Indian thing, you can't eat money. Suddenly, we're starting to wake up to, if we started to measure environmentally, socially, as well as economically, what our future looked like or could look like, we will get different investment decisions. And we will start to invest at a more human scale. We will start to play in the environment. It is not an externality. It is central to how we live well and prosper in the future. So suddenly, by trusting and empowering people genuinely and by measuring what good looks like differently, together, we could create a perfect storm. We just need to do it fast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great note to end on. I'll I'll look out for your book. Um, I really would like to get... um, a book group going for the podcast so I will try and galvanize that for, for next year and well look at it book. will be called seeds to solutions mm-hmm. um and it will be out for November November okay and maybe, maybe we'll you can it. Come, come back for the book group and we'll talk about it with you love to absolutely love to Rosa it's been lovely talking to you oh it's been so good I've, I've really enjoyed this Thank you. Thank you for putting up with me and for braving (laughs) the internet challenge. We did it. (laughs) Take care, Rosa. Take care. Bye. Bye. It seems like we often think we're not allowed to do something if we and others around us are unsure. But sometimes that's all it is, feeling unsure. It's not necessarily that we're not allowed. It's amazing what doors open for you once you start doing something, as Pam says, with joy and conviction. There's so many quotes I could take from Pam, like you don't need permission to make your community more hopeful, and that these small actions can shoot off all over the place and create something you couldn't imagine. You might also have noticed that Pam brings out my Yorkshire accent, where I'm originally from. That's it for this episode. Please get in touch by following me on Twitter and Facebook, or through my website, thejampackedpod.com. I'd especially love to hear from you if you're part of a group of growers, or if you have started something in your community that might be to do with something completely different that has led to people connecting and feeling better about their lives. Thank you for listening, and here is a preview of the next episode with Jill Perkins of the Bumblebee Trust, continuing the theme of food for a third episode, as she sets me straight on a few things about bees.
you know, the, the honeybees don't add to our biodiversity. You know, when, when we see that slogan, save the bees, and there's honeybees, mm. it's a little bit like saying, let's save the birds, I'm going to keep chickens. It's back to that analogy again. So they don't actually enhance our biodiversity. In some areas, we've got two bumblebees which are at risk of extinction. Now, if we um, put uh, honeybee hives in these small isolated communities of where this bee still survives, there's a chance that the honeybee would outcompete it for floral forage uh, and that bee would be even more at risk of extinction. So in some cases, not in all cases, putting honeybee hives into uh, natural areas can have a, a detrimental effect to our wild native bees, which are at risk of extinction and uh, decline. 